0: Hampshire Hispites. Join us as we delve into the past and go on a journey to discover some of the county's best, and occasionally unknown, history. We'll be speaking to experts as well as enthusiasts, asking them to reveal some of our hidden heritage as well as share with you a few fascinating untold stories.
1: Welcome to Hampshire Hisbys. My name is Al Paniso and I will be your host for this episode where we'll explore the work of Hampshire storyteller Amanda Kane-Smith. Amanda has created a series of short stories based on the myths and folklore of towns and villages to the west of our county. Her work, Tess Valley Tales, is available as an illustrated book and a series of podcasts. There are details of how to access them in the show notes which accompany this episode. As you'll discover, Amanda has a wealth of stories to share.
0: Tess Valley Tales is, is an integrated project. It's There's a book, a podcast and, well, school Workshop storytelling workshops. So back in 2019, I think it was, Tess Valley Art's Foundation asked for project ideas for the Test Valley Borough of Culture 2020. And I thought, well, what better way to celebrate this beautiful part of the world than through its folk tales and legends? So I proposed to create an illustrated book of short stories, which I've done, and a storytelling podcast. Now I've already recorded, I finished actually recording the podcast. There's 10 episodes in all, and they 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 follow stories, folk tales and legends, all set in Test Valley, and they follow the, the borough from the very top. And the first story is set in Burnham Dean, which is a ghost legend and quite a well-known ghost story. And then you kind of meander your way all the way down. There's, there's a dragon story in Whirlwell. And then we go across to Dainbury Hill and there's a story about a travelling tree. And then we meander back down through Stockbridge and then a Mottisfont font. There's a magical fish story in Mottisfont, And then it comes all the way down. And the stories finish off with a story which is set in Wellow in the in the New Forest, and the idea is the stories are all well. They're mostly local folk tales and legends. Although I have to admit, I've kind of sneaked a few folk tales, which are kind of generic folk tales, and placed them in this area just because I I, I actually struggled to find enough to fit all the different locations. But with them, I've got there's lots of local folklore and interesting facts and stuff about the environment and the ecology. And, and you know, I, well, I just discovered so much whilst I was researching it, to be honest. Well, it's a really beautiful place that we live.
1: Absolutely. I agree. So how did you come about with the imagination with the mythical side of it?
0: <laughs> well, I did. I did a lot of research. So. Yeah, I immersed myself in books and the internet. And also, I was quite keen to delve a little deeper because if you look on the internet, it's very easy to, once you start looking from place to place to place, you, you suddenly see that lots of facts are kind of regurgitated from one place to the next. And people just see something and they repeat it. So it's not necessarily the origin story. So I kind of was able to find origin stories of some of the the local folk tales and the legends. So yeah, it was really, really fascinating. And my idea was I want people to go out and explore the landscape and explore it through the eyes of the story in a a way. And, and, And by doing that, I don't know, just, just to feel that something magical like that could happen to them. So as you're walking around and, you know, that a tree could you know, come to life and start to speak to them or you might, there might be, a, I don't know, a little goblin or a little fairy hidden behind something. But it's just, yeah, just tapping into people's imaginations because, well, stories aren't just for children. I think we've all, we can all do with a, a bit of magic in our lives, especially you know at the moment, with the world the way it is. I think people think folklore is something of a time times gone by, yes, but actually, yes. we are still surrounded by folklore, and a lot of folklore is is born out of facts. Yes. They looked at the seasons, they looked at you know the weather, and lots of little snippets of folklore it, it is based on on fact and the knowledge of the land which people had at that time, which we've we've kind of lost. But you know, I think today with with people's interest with the environment and the importance of the environment, I think people are much more aware of of respecting it, I suppose. And that's what I hope, you know, people will will get out of this. People enjoy exploring and rediscovering places that they might not have have been to for a while.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, you know, from what you Said from your perspective, and did you suggest where you think it's the best place to explore the mythical part of the country?
0: Well, the, I mean, there's so many legends, there's a really famous legend in Hampshire, so we've got one of the most famous. Dragon stories in in a place called Worwell. and is a little village which is you know it's obviously really really to access. I, I, you know, I used to go there a lot with my children and feed the ducks, and there's the, the 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 cow meadows there which you can get. You know, lots of people go for for dog walks around there, but Worwell is the scene of a famous dragon story. And it's called the, the Whirlwell Cockatrice. Now, a cockatrice is a type of dragon. And anybody who is a Harry Potter fan will probably know a cockatrice as something like a basilisk, because it's a similar kind of creature, because it has two legs and it has wings. But a cockatrice has got the head of a cockerel and legs of a cockerel. And the body and tail of a serpent. And they are really yeah, they're vicious things. You don't want to kind of, you don't want to get near a cockatrice because they okay. can kill people with, with the deadly look of their eye. They're really, really vicious. So basically the story goes that a cockatrice ran riots in the village of Werwell many, many years ago. So a cockatrice can only be born if a toad sits on a duck egg. And this is exactly what happened in Whirlwell. So in the in the cellar of Whirlwell, a duck laid an egg and a toad sat on top of that egg and inside a cockatrice was born and cracked out of this egg and then proceeded to fly around the village eating nuns, eating the local bishop, eating people. I mean, it was really, really not a very good thing at all. So what they did was they sent out an edict to all the knights, all the local knights to say, please come and save us. And the abbess at that time, she issued a reward and the reward was four acres Of land to anyone who could kill the beast, so of course all the local knights came along and they all tried to kill it, and they all died. Until one day, a local pot washer, and his name was Samuel Green, and he went to the mess and he said, "Well, look, I can I can kill the beast for you because he'd been polishing a huge serving dish, and he'd seen his reflection in the serving dish, and it gave him a little bit of an idea." So. He went to the abbess and the abbess said, yep, you can give it a go. So the next day, Green... Samuel Green goes down into the cellar where the cockatrice is asleep and he takes this big serving dish and he wedges the serving dish between the floor and the ceiling and then he gets a storm lamp. He lights the storm lamp and he puts that next to the serving dish and then he hides behind it. So, of course, for the first time ever, light starts to jump around that dark place. And as it does so, the cockatrice wakes up. He opens his eyes. He sees the serving dish and he sees what he thinks is another cockatrice. And well, he starts to fight the cockatrice. And all day, the cockatrice fights his own reflection until finally he is exhausted. And it collapses, at which point, Green Jess comes out and stabs the cockatrice and kills him. And if you're not sure whether that story is true, if you look on a a map today of Harewood Forest, you'll see that there are four acres of land. And those four acres of land are called Green's Acres. And it is said that that was the land which was rewarded to Samuel Green for killing the cockatrice. So, you know, that's a really cool story that we have here. And actually, up until the 1930s in they it's said that people refused to eat duck eggs because of the connection with the, the cockatrice. And also if you go to Andover Museum, there's a weather vane, a cockatrice weather vane there, which is like this very old thing, which used to be on top of the church in Whirlwell many, many years ago. And one of the great things about this weather vane if you look very closely, there's a, a hole in it. And that hole I discovered was made by a GI. So in the war, we had the American soldiers coming over here and some were stationed in in Werwell And one of them took a pop shot at the weather vane, which was on top of the church at the time. And there's also another story which I was told about some American soldiers which tried to smuggle some of the artefacts away and then in their, in their baggage and then they couldn't. But yeah, if you go to Andover Museum, there's all sorts of little stories about that. Um, the connection between uh, the cockatrice and soldiers and the history of it. But, you know, there's lots of stories around there. There's also the Dead Man's Plaque story, which is just up the road. And that's another really, uh, that that's a lovely walk for families because it's a very easy walk through Harewood Forest. And at the end of the walk, there's this really strange monument, which is just a cross. It's, it's like the sort of thing you'd find in a church, yard really, but it's kind of in the middle of the forest. And it's a great walk for children because it's a very easy walk along the path. And then you can go there, there's a little inscription about the story. And the good thing about that one, it's called the the, the Dead Man's Plaque. And it's a legend and the people in the legend are real people. So you've got King Edgar, Queen Ethelred, who was the first Queen of all England, she's a Saxon queen, and Ethelwald, who was the king's best friend, and basically King Edgar King kills Ethelwald all for the love of the beautiful Elfrida. That's the the kind of crux of the story. But yeah, again, that's a great a great story.
1: Yeah, that sounds really interesting, and I think it's important that you know letting the new generation to discover this thing because this so easily get lost.
0: Yeah, I think so and I think well we all love that but I think children particularly are fascinated by history and and things if you can if you can bring it to life in that way and tap into the story of a place it it makes it live for children. It makes it really, really interesting. And I think also the other thing I liked about the project was the environmental aspect, because obviously children now are really, really aware as, you know, as they should be that we're we're living in a time where, you know, climate is a really, really huge issue. And one of the things that I learned, which I thought was amazing is that the chalk streams. So there's, Two stories which are set, one's called The White Trout of Stockbridge and the other one is The Magic Fish of Mottespont and they're both set in the chalk streams of, of of Hampshire. And when I was really keen to, to find some stories which related to the chalk streams, but we haven't got any, well, not that I could find. And if anybody does know one, then please let me know. But within the area that I was doing, which is the Test Valley area, I couldn't find a folktale, which was specifically about one of our beautiful chalk streams. So I've kind of used generic folktales and kind of linked them to the place and used and changed them, adapted them a little bit, reinvented them for for us here in Hampshire. And and that's because, well, Test Valley is famous for its chalk streams and rivers. And there are only around 200 chalk streams and rivers in the whole world. And 85% of them are here. And they are so important. They're like rainforests really they are so important for us to look look after and they're they're just beautiful places they're they're perfect habitats for wildlife they've got lots of wildlife which needs to be protected like the, the water crowfoot flowers and the the white clawed crayfish they really really need to be protected but they are beautiful beautiful places which we all love to to visit so yeah so to create some stories about those places some magical stories I thought was really really important so I hope people will go and visit these places and maybe look at the water the gin clear water as it's called and and yeah sort of tap into the magic of Definitely
1: yeah definitely I mean it just sounds so amazing.
0: Well I I interviewed for for the podcast because there's interviews after them and one of the interviews was with somebody from Watercress and Winterbourne's, who were part of Hampshire Wildlife Trust, Hampshire and Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust. And she was describing how chalk streams are created. And I just thought it was really magical. So basically you've got under the, we're all walking on chalk. So here in Hampshire, underneath our feet is is chalk and chalk is like a huge aquifer, which is basically, it's a huge giant sponge. You imagine it, you think of it as like a giant sponge because it's got little holes And under these chalk aquifers are ancient springs. And what happens is the water from these ancient springs, really ancient springs, filters up through the holes in this chalk aquifers and it kind of filters up and it spills out into what? are the chalk streams, which is why it's so clear, thats that gin clear thing they say. And then obviously on top of these chalk aquifers, you've got all the, the gravelly beds where all the species, you know, animal species and plant species live. And that's why it is so magical, because the water that you see there is like ancient spring water. So it's just coming up through these and i just think it's beautiful that you know we have underneath our feet where it's almost like we're walking on water because you know we have this beautiful chalk which is part of where we live and we don't see it because it's under the grass but it's there
1: so can you talk to me more about the books that you're launching you know whether it is for you know what age group for children and what what's your aim
0: yeah so so the book itself is 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 really aimed at children aged 7 to 107 really it's it's got a really really wide appeal so the stories were written with children in mind so that, that because there's some ghost stories in there so i've kind of made them quite they are child friendly put it that way but the story the book's also been read by Adults of all ages and actually older people as well have really, really liked it because of its links with local history and local folklore and knowledge and things that people heard. So it's got a really, really good range of of ages that it would be liked by. But the other thing which was really important to me when I wanted to, with with the conception of the book, was I wanted to make it a really, really beautiful thing. So as part of it, it's an illustrated book. So I was able to commission two local artists, and they both have created a piece of art which is linked to each story. And the, 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 the art brings the stories again up to date. I wanted to make the book really engaging to to people it's so it's it's quite contemporary the art and it's a mixed media a little bit of photography there's yeah there's it's that they're really really beautiful so what they did was they went and explored the the places that the stories were set and they created it through my words Mm -hmm. and through the 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 location itself and yeah so there's 10 illustrations in the book connected to each of the 10 stories and they really, really are beautiful. So yeah, that's something I'm really proud of about the book because it's just such a lovely thing. And I think that's why it's quite accessible to all ages because just to flick through it and look at the illustrations, yeah, it's a really, really lovely book. But if you don't want to pay for the book, the podcast is free and is 10 episodes. And each episode features one of the stories. And after the episode, I do an interview with somebody who has a connection with the story. So one of the people I interviewed was Tom Morris from the Hawke Conservancy Trust. I was really keen to create a story for Amport, which is by the Hawke Conservancy. And I knew this story called The Baker's Daughter, which is a bit of a a generic folk tale. Somebody might know better than me, but for what I know, it's not particularly set anywhere. So I kind of thought I would kind of glean the story and put it in the woods, set it in the woods in Amport. And the reason I like this story is because it's a really, really old story. And versions of it must have been around before Shakespeare was alive. Because in Hamlet, the character Ophelia says, they say the owl was a baker's daughter. Lord, we know what we are, but know not what we may be. And the thing is, owls were thought to be bad omens in Shakespearean times. I think that's probably because they fly so silently. So people would see like these white owls flying around churchyards and sometimes they were associated with ghosts and things. So it's a really, really lovely story, The Baker's Daughter, and it's all full of magic. And it's a great one to perform because it's it's really, really interactive. And it's all about a a naughty baker's daughter who who basically gets turned into an owl I don't think I'm going to ruin the story by by putting a spoiler out there. I think people kind of guess guess what's going to happen. But because of that I was able to interview Tom from the Hawk Conservancy as part of this story. And that you know and that was just amazing and he's as with everybody there just a fountain of knowledge about owls and and Which are just beautiful creatures. And he brought along Troy, the barn owl. And Troy is is very chatty during this interview. And we have, like, yeah, a really good chat with Tom. So, yeah, it's just been amazing to meet all of these fascinating people and being able to work with some, you know, brilliant local organizations.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, you know, the children be put into their head and maybe, you know, they could like develop even more, you know, further.
0: of furthering the story, isn't it? Well, I hope that people will listen to the stories and then tell the stories to other people because that's what oral storytelling is all about. You know, I don't, I don't claim ownership of these stories, I've just retold them in the way that I want to tell them. But I hope that then if somebody else listens to, to the story, whether that's a child of seven, or an adult of 70, if they like the story, they then will tell that story to somebody else, and that somebody else will tell the story to somebody else. And over time, the story might change a little bit. But that's great. That's the way stories evolve. And you know, when you tell a story, it's really important that you put something of yourself into it. So the way I tell the story might be different to the way you tell the story or somebody else tells the story. But that's, that's what's really fun and interesting about oral storytelling, because the way stories evolve all the time, keep this alive and, and keep these stories going for the future. And, you know, things will change over time. And that's good.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, do you have any more more work coming up within the next episode or activities?
0: Well, the idea is next year to take... The stories in, into schools and do some storytelling workshops so children are aware of the, the stories of this place where they live. Mottospont are hopefully doing a feature of Test Valley Tales in the autumn that's the autumn of 2022 so you should be able to find some information me possibly telling stories there but yeah yeah, you know I'm constantly telling stories at various events all over the place so I, I'll, I could just pop up at a fete or a festival near, near, yeah near, you know <laughs> the we weekend just gone I was actually down in Portsmouth at this place called Wimmering Manor which is actually an old haunted house and there's a, a, a the Wimmering Manor Trust are currently doing the this this house up and kind of reinventing it in a way of saying well yes that is part of it but it's also got loads of brilliant history so they did a family fun day and I and I told some stories there as part of their family fun days so I, yeah, I, I'm always popping up here, there, and everywhere, and happy to tell stories to anybody who's interested, really.
1: Yes, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And also, I, after the episode of your storytelling, you tend to have someone to talk through about the history with the professional, you know, such as like our conservative and, you know, yeah. some other people that related to your story. And I think that's amazing. You know, you actually got the backup, not just, you know, what you've just been doing the research, but you also have got someone to actually explain things, you know, about the nature of it and how they've been living in that location.
0: Yeah that's been one of the the most fun things of the project is meeting people and learning from people. I've learned some amazing things because I you know I've gone into this project as somebody who's really interested in learning about all of this stuff and I've just met some amazing people who've have just taught me all sorts of fabulous things. So yeah, there's some brilliant people out there, really interesting people. And I'd, I'm hoping to do more of this. It's getting the funding for it, to be honest, but there's talk of, of exploring the project further and with, with people and also maybe linking it with maybe people who... So, so say people who maybe have now live in Hampshire or Test Valley who may have come from another part of the world and maybe learning about their stories and how their stories relate to stories which we have here, and yeah, exploring different sort of world folk tales through people who are now part of Hampshire and how we can learn from them and how they feed into our folktales. And that, yeah, so there's talk about exploring the stories in that way as well. So, yeah, that could be something exciting to to look out for. Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm truly inspired by your work. Mm -hmm. It's just so rare to find someone, you know, to actually going going to the storytelling with the magical side of the story so thank you it's just lovely to you know listen to your story it's just been amazing meeting you and just discover all the all the
0: things around us it's it's just been really really lovely talking to you and and thank you for allowing me to ramble on about my 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 interests and my you know my fascination and all of this stuff it's been a real pleasure to to be a pleasure to talk to you we hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode if you would like to find out a little bit more about what we've been talking about then please visit the website www.winchesterheritageopendays.org or click on Hampshire Hispites and there you'll find today's show notes as well as some links to more information thank you